This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Theme 3 Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Milling. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. Hey, a little reminder, if you want to get more content from us and come hang out on our Discord, we have all of those things available over at patreon.com slash name3songs. Or if you just want to give us a tip because you appreciated the episode, you can do this at paypal.me slash name3songs. So Sarah, what are we talking about today? I think you guys are really gonna like today's episode because we have on TikTok and in conversation with some of y'all, we've danced around this topic a bit, but we're going to have the discussion of about how musicians have used gender fluidity, mainly focusing in like the way that they dress throughout history and how there's been different reasons of using this from actual gender expression to doing something to just make the public uncomfortable. And so we're going to like have the discussion about when androgyny sort of got more mainstream, why it was used during the periods it was used, and how people in the current times are using it, number one for self-expression, but also how sometimes people just use it as like a statement or because like the youth of the world has become more comfortable with the fact that gender is a construct and not a real thing. It's become quote unquote a pop culture moment, so to speak, to lean into androgyny for some people and how is that being utilized and who's utilizing it and the public reaction to that utilization. As we all know, rock stars throughout the ages have liked to play with gender norms and what that means. And nowadays when people are genuinely outspoken about their feelings about their gender and not conforming with a gender identity, like what does that mean for the way that rock has used androgyny throughout history? Even just thinking broadly about people who have pushed the boundaries on what gender is throughout history have made a really big impact. You can just think of like Bowie, Prince, Lady Gaga. I mean, there's lots of names that come to mind. And so we're going to be getting kind of like some of the specifics of these. We did a bit of research into sort of the history of non-binary genders and how this all came to be. And just to really like educate ourselves because both of us identify as cisgendered women. So this isn't our wheelhouse, so to speak. So we wanted to just educate ourselves on more information about what's going on here so that we can speak from a place of knowledge. And so basically I found this article from this site called The Tempest written by Meg Leach in 2020 and it's called The History of Non-Binary Genders is Longer Than You Know. And what Meg wrote in this article is that gender has been used as an oppressive instrument for centuries. It's been used to highlight the difference between people rather than highlight the inherent strength in us all. Strength of character is not something that is defined by maleness or femaleness. Strength is an attribute of the human condition to thrive when tested and fight for what we believe in. And that really resonated with me and I feel like it really suits this conversation today. 
what you said a minute ago i feel like this conversation around gender fluidity has really come to the forefront in the past one to two years even like very very recently and like you said with gen z being a lot more comfortable expressing themselves and exploring their gender identity i think that's helped a lot with even the millennials and people in their older generations as well because let's be honest people have had like gender dysphoria and people have explored their gender expression for decades like this isn't a new thing it's just that it was a taboo thing and it wasn't always publicly accepted and it wasn't always not just normal but sometimes it was you know also looked down upon and so i think this quote is really interesting because it's pointing out the fact that like we are now in a place where it's more acceptable to understand and believe that gender is just part of an expression of yourself and it doesn't have to be so black and white in these binaries but i mean even if you go back to the history of the world i mean if you look at egyptian art and stuff like if there was any powerful women that you would have like a woman's face on like a male's body or those sorts of things where it seems that throughout history the gender construct didn't really come to be until a later date probably white people just have being white people you know how we are but if you look back at like old hollywood you even would have audrey hepburn and these other actresses who didn't want to conform with like the feminine norms and there's even stories of audrey hepburn on set being told like you have to wear a dress and her just running around in like her undergarment like pants being like i will not put a dress on you need to give me pants or i'm going to be walking around in these all day so i feel like people have always been sort of frustrated with the box that you're put into because it's like you're either male or female and i mean for such a long time like women couldn't even wear pants you know and so i think that just as we've gone forward in time people are recognizing more that you don't have to fit within a binary even if you do identify as male or female like there's still so much room for growth i completely agree that's a really good point and so as always we love to bring some psychology into the mix and there's a really great article by sean f mcgowan in 2018 called pop music's legendary androgyny continues to guide us where he breaks down some of the psychology for us so let's dive in donald mckinnon a psychologist who dedicated his career to the study of creativity analyzed architects and mathematicians to determine traits that were predictive of creativity. His findings, published in 1963, found that the most striking aspect of all our male creative groups is an extremely high peak on the femininity scale. And that same year, the renowned Ellis Paul Torrance, another researcher, published findings that showed that creative boys possess more feminine characteristics than their peers and creative girls are perceived as more masculine than other girls. All of these psychologists hypothesized why this existed and in 1980, research researchers Jody B. Weinstein and Philip Bobko summarized it well in the relationship between creativity and androgyny. They said, quote, in being androgynous, especially in sex stereotype society, a person would need to be open to experience, flexible, accepting of all apparent opposites, unconcerned about social norms, and self-reliant. Exactly those traits identified with creative persons. Which, okay, first of all, I think it's really interesting that they're saying that creativity and gender fluidity and expression and androgyny go hand in hand which is really interesting and kind of makes sense with what we've seen mm -hmm. in history in like music, but also is very, I guess like reassuring in a way or like comforting to know that this is again, psychology, 
this is a normal thing. And it's totally okay to explore self-expression and who you really are, other than just what society tells you to be, because society's really oppressive. And I think also it's interesting how men who are creative are viewed as more feminine and women who are creative are viewed as more masculine. I think everything just comes back to like the world, especially like America is like a patriarchal society. And so because of that, anything that is good or that people like is always I feel like wanting to tie back to like maleness to some degree because I mean for so long men in art school and stuff are always viewed as sort of weaker and like less masculine but I personally going to art school nobody's ever been like oh that's like a man thing to do you know and so it's just interesting because I think if you go to an art school everybody who's there people are going to be like oh look at them like they're all super feminine and creative or whatever but then when you go into the real world and you go into like a creative job then all of a sudden it's viewed as a more masculine thing because I mean in until I started doing photography professionally, every single class I took was like 90% female. Every single person I met was a woman. And so it's these things where it's like once it becomes a profession, all of a sudden there's men there. And so even though these men are viewed to like have more feminine ways of being, then women in that field are viewed, at least from my perspective, it's like are viewed like more masculine because it's like, oh, well, men do that. <laughs> like men are photographers, men are artists, men are musicians. And it's like, okay, but that man is dressed like me. <laughs> I'm not dressed like him. And so I think it's just interesting of like that viewpoint, you know? Yeah. And also what we're kind of going to be focusing on is how men have used femininity in their clothing and in their music rather than the other way around. Just because at this point it's normal for women to wear pants. Like that's not revolutionary. But for some reason it's still revolutionary to this day when a guy wears a dress, it like sparks controversy. So we're kind of going to be focusing more on like how men have challenged masculine stereotypes throughout history. And I mean, I think this is a good point to go ahead and kick it off with the Beatles because as always, music history started <laughs> when the Beatles came to America. There was no music before the Beatles. Yeah. And according to some men, there has not been music after apparently. So basically, like, for a lot of the research for this, we read this book called Glitter Up the Dark that's written by Sasha Geffen, and they talk about some very interesting topics, and also a lot of people that I never would have correlated with defying gender norms to any degree, including the Beatles. And I think that we've mentioned this in past sort of episodes about the way that throughout history, it seems like the way British men are more open to defying the norms, just based off of like our research and personal experience. I really wonder if we can find something more about what there is to that because it feels like what we've read has been from American authors so they're relating it back to the American perspective but I don't I don't think we've come across anything that's really explaining what's actually going on in England. I mean that's what's so interesting about it though is it's like is this just Americans doing what Americans do and like acting like England is this holy land of like more impressive people who are more thought out and what they're doing and all those things or is this an act thing that was going on because as Jenna said most of the things that we've read have been written by Americans writing about British people. They haven't really gone that much 
into it. I mean, Sasha, they kind of did in this book a bit talking about how their manager was gay and so he was sort of presenting them from like the gay male gaze yeah. rather than the straight male gaze, which is interesting. But the other thing that I just found interesting was that I never thought of the Beatles as being revolutionary or doing anything like that exciting with their image. Like their music definitely was like changing things. But basically they, I don't think that like the way that they presented them themselves with the fact that they had the bowl cut hairdo or whatever we want to call it and the way that they dressed or anything was why women were drawn to them specifically. I think that there was a lot more to it than just that and so I never as somebody who isn't a super big Beatles fan or anything I never would have correlated their dress sense with a reason why female fans like found them more approachable or likable but Sasha does sort of bring this point about how even though the Beatles didn't look like women they looked as though they lacked the discipline to look like men which landed them in like this uncharted territory between established gender forms which I think is an interesting point and I'm not sure I, like I don't was that on purpose I don't know what your thoughts are on that well I mean Sasha also points out that at the time the norm was the working class like leather and denim short haircuts and so it kind of was revolutionary for them to grow their hair out so long and so it was like clearly at the time because now it's like that wouldn't be a big deal but at the time things were so black and white this is how women wear their hair this is how men wear their hair that by them just doing this like simple thing it was like whoa but as far as whether or not that appealed to female fans more I think it did in the sense that it was something different and it clearly was as Sasha says it it othered them from like the typical masculine category and so I think in a sense they either felt more approachable or it was different enough that it was intriguing and people were just interested and wanted to find out more yeah no that makes sense that makes sense and I feel like when it comes to the Beatles they weren't doing it do anything other than just be themselves and sort of I think that at the time it's like rebelling against social norms was what you do when you're in rock music and I don't think that they were doing anything like aggressively stepping over the line and I mean the other really interesting point that that Sasha made in this book was that they said that um, the Beatles long hair posed a threat to traditional American masculinity. In the mid-1960s America, gender norms were so deeply inscribed that even a few extra inches of hair appeared not just as social alps but as a biological anomaly. The shirt collar represented the barrier between normative and deviant masculinities. By letting their hair cross it, the Beatles broke a long-held agreement of what it meant to look like a man. And I feel like it's just so interesting because I never would have thought that hair would be so polarizing but when they put it like that it makes a lot of sense as to why this would have been challenging like gender norms and also doing something safe but also that's a statement in sort of playing with that idea of what a man's supposed to look like and i'm wondering did sasha mention in this book that it was epstein because i know that their manager epstein like had a hand in kind of styling them and how he presented them but i don't know whose responsibility it was for the decision about the hair I don't think that they mentioned it. So TBD on who we really have to thank for all of this. <laughs> But we have the Beatles, and then we have, on the other hand, the Rolling Stones. So in our misogyny in songwriting episode, we talked about this book called Under My Thumb, and there was a really interesting essay 
in that book that was called Betwixt and Between the Travesties of Mick Jagger and it was written by Manon Steiner and they were basically talking about how the Rolling Stones music was laced in misogyny <laughs> like so much misogyny while also being very flamboyant and on top of that like Mick Jagger and the whole rest of the band were very just like flamboyant in the way that they were acting in the way that they presented and they would play with the way that they dressed and they would do these things where they would wear dresses like they did music videos and dresses they perform in dresses they perform in like very feminine sexualized clothing and it was like this weird era as well because it's like right after world war ii and so women for like it a while had had to step into male dominated roles they very much were doing everything and then the men come back and it's like oh look the world's changing and they especially men in rock at this time they lean into femininity and in doing so it's like the men come back and the women have to go back to doing quote-unquote woman jobs so they're back to just being housewives and nurses or whatever and the men go back to being men but then the men in rock are like oh but we're feminine now because like the women got to like play with that for a little while so now this is our thing and it was just supposed to be okay and I feel like it wasn't that great and I mean in this essay also she quotes Marianne Faithful who had been with Mick Jagger for quite some time and she said of Mick Jagger how blurring the lines was part of the creative mix of the era but it also had its dark side the homoerotic subculture had a virulent strain of misogyny to it as a nasty byproduct and also it was said in this essay about how they were using the fantasy of eroticism to sort of challenge the traditional sense of like masculine and feminine like dualism so it just became like a very sexual thing for everybody so it was like the young women wanted to sleep with him but also at the same time it's like why and then men were also seemingly starting to be a bit like confused by Mick Jagger because he's up there gyrating in a dress and so I think that with everything happening also around and then with like that being a new wave of feminism and the sexual heyday and all of these things that we've talked about in the past of like everything lining up to make that sort of decade very horny. I think that what the Rolling Stones were doing was utilizing the idea of, of like a sexualized female to make themselves more of sexual beings and while it was like expression at the same time the very clearly from the reporting about things and the way other people that were around at that time have spoken about specifically Mick Jagger it was very much like used to make people uncomfortable so it wasn't a hundred percent him being like this is me this is real it was him being like how do I stir the pot and do something that's gonna make people leave and be like what was that yeah you up some really good points and I think one of them also is what you mentioned about this being a very sexually charged thing of people using fashion to explore their gender expression but I think what you're kind of saying is that he did it in a way that was still sexualizing women and because of that it kind of had its negative like repercussions for women like women still weren't as liberated at this time because of the way that they were still being represented by men wearing dresses 
Yeah, no, 100%. And I think the thing is, is that like wanting to be androgynous and like not wanting to conform to a gender is not a sexual act. It's just trying to make yourself feel as comfortable in the body you were given, whether or not that fits with like what your soul feels that you should look like or act like or what have you. And so I feel like the way that Mick Jagger was making and not even androgyny, but just making dressing a certain way into like a sexual act rather than like an act of trying to be the truest him he could be. I think that that's where you get this like line towing of like what is gender fluidity? What does it mean? And like is this something that is an act of rebellion or is this something that's an act of trying to be the truest you as possible? Yeah, no, that's a really good point because later in the book, Sasha goes to point out when they're talking about prints, they point out that by the 80s, the Rolling Stones had already been folded into the catalog of quote, acceptable masculinities. They were no longer the androgynous provocateurs playing the blues in longhand and flamboyant clothing. So, I mean, to your point, they kind of ditched that style by the 80s. They were falling into the more masculine category and Prince was opening for them on tour and Prince is like very feminine very wearing crop tops wearing I think they said he was wearing a thong or like underwear on stage with like a long coat he was wearing a black bikini bottom and a studded trench coat which is the same getup that he sports in the cover of his 1980 album Dirty Mind so he honestly dressed iconic. fabulously <laughs> yeah. So in contrast, Prince is very much like this. I don't even want to use the word duality of genders because he explores more than that. He really like pushed things and becoming androgynous like this other being. But point being is that when Prince came out on stage dressed like this to open for the Rolling Stones, he was met with homophobic slurs, people throwing things at him. Perhaps these fans forgot that Mick Jagger had previously worn dresses on stage some years back. I mean, Prince literally got booed off the stage of that show, which is insane because Prince is so important to music and so important to the idea of what gender expression is and can be and the fact that the Rolling Stones who sort of used what Prince was using as a way of expressing his truest form and the Rolling Stones had used it as just a way to like try and be sexy. It's just frustrating that their fans are like this isn't cool, this isn't okay. When 10 years ago they were probably like do I, do I want to fuck Mick Jagger? Because Mick Jagger while he was doing something for a wow factor and to make people uncomfortable, make people question things, there still is that thought process of what can I make people realize by doing this? What can I make myself realize by doing this? But I might be giving him too much credit. Well, the other thing is like, so with the Beatles, their primary demographic when they started out was women and then it shifted over time and suddenly became a band for men and they became the same thing they were within the acceptable masculinity category and so this is what's happening with like the rolling stones too and i feel like we're kind of guessing that like mick jagger was doing this as a way to be edgy and not necessarily trying to find his authentic self but we can't say that for certain because gender fluidity gender expression sexuality all of these things are a very personal journey so i think like the point is as we mentioned previously the way he went about it was very much still in a way that sexualized women. So it wasn't necessarily a positive thing. However, it did push the conversation forward in letting men push the boundaries of how they dress. So, 
you know, my favorite term, the double-edged sword of it all, you know, <laughs> is that he was doing this in a way that made women feel and be more sexualized, but also at the same time, it like sort of cracked the door open for people who might actually be using it for themselves rather than for anybody else to start to be able to do that. Because like Jenna said, it's like, we don't know, but based off of like what the people around him and like what people around the band have said like it feels very much like they were utilizing dressing more feminine just as a wow factor rather than for anything else and just mentioning the wow factor thing that was a really big deal with alice cooper in like the late 60s and 70s of alice cooper really like pushing the envelope there and he even went on to say like people don't accept that they're both male and female and people are afraid to break out of their sex thing because that's a big insecurity that's doing that consequently people will make fun of us and the critics did say that his transvestite inclinations were developed in a response to growing frustration with the inability to get jobs or other meaningful employment. So these acts did not come without criticism, you know? The critics at the time are basically saying, like, it's because he couldn't be a real man, and that's why he's turned to this, which is absolutely ridiculous. That's just, like, it's so funny, because for, for how many people respect and revere David Bowie, they also go on to, like, shit on Prince or Alice Cooper or these other people who are just as important to music, but, like, aren't doing the same things, aren't as inspiring as Bowie and like all of his choices that he's made and like his personas and what have you and I feel like because of that obviously Bowie was also questioned but I feel like Bowie was so revered that most of history and most of the way people talk about it, him is more like celebrated for what he did and like how he was this artistic genius whereas like others in the same boat aren't celebrated in the same way and so I think the interesting thing with Bowie going off of that is Bowie took a lot of influence from Andy Warhol's New York scene community of like gay men, drag queens, and trans women. And that's where he got a lot of his styling fashion wise and inspiration for the characters of Geese Stardust, all of that. And so I think the really interesting point here is that because Bowie was very open about kind of like his sexuality, but I feel like he was able to project a lot of his gender fluid feelings onto this character of Ziggy Stardust and on stage he became this other character essentially right and like Sasha points out that like this was honestly like a quite a special thing because Ziggy Stardust was a bisexual polyamorous alien rock star from another planet and so in that way it was kind of inspiring for like the queer generation of people to look up to that and being like we're more special than what is happening right now on earth and we can't keep be confined by society in that way so I think it's really special that Bowie did that but at the same time I I think because there was this other character where he was able to enact all these other forms of expression that Bowie himself kind of fell into like the acceptable masculine category. And I think that's why there's this differentiation and that's probably why people were okay with him being that way. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's just interesting. And it's kind of upsetting that, like, you need to create this wild out there character of, like, essentially playing an alien in your real life in order for people to accept the fact that you want to push the gender norms. And I, I don't know, it's just like, it's just that thing where it's like, I want to say that people are more accepting nowadays, but still, even when people do things, there is a good chunk of the world that's like, why are you doing this? And I wonder if all of these artists are like, well, I'm actually playing an alien, if then people will be like, oh, well, then you wear your dress. You're fine. 
I don't know. It's just weird what people are willing to put aside because they're like, oh, it's a character. It's not real. When, like, this is a real human. Like, he's not in a movie. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, going back to the way that Bowie was very intertwined with like the queer community, Sasha points out that there was this other trans front woman of a proto-punk band called Electric Chairs named Jane County. And Jane and Bowie were close at the time. And so Sasha goes to point out that the fact that Bowie became a star and not Jane County speaks to the rigid maze gendered transgressive pop stars had to navigate in the 1970s. If Bowie had actually been trans, his face likely wouldn't be plastered across every form of pop culture debris from bumper sticker to emoji. His cis masculinity gave many listeners a sense of plausible deniability. So it's going back to that point of it's like, oh, it's all just an act. He's really like a masculine male. It's okay. It's just so frustrating that because Bowie was a cis white man that they were just like, this is okay. This is fine. We're cool with you doing these things to some degree. And it's just interesting because I mean... Prince was with women, too, and they still were just like, this is a gay, gross man. How dare he? And it's like, okay, what? So I just feel like there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) And I think that, like, another really good example of just somebody who people were like, he's wearing dresses, but he's mine, is, like, with Kurt Cobain. Because, I mean, Kurt Cobain is the king of grunge, essentially. And grunge is a very masculine music. Grunge is very much a place where, as a woman, you probably don't feel like you belong. Like, as a fan, like, when you show up to a show, it's like, these men are there judging you and being rude or whatever. And then you have Kurt Cobain showing up bringing grunge into the mainstream so to speak and he's wearing a dress whenever he possibly can and he's just a very feminine human and he leaned into it and it was interesting because before reading Sasha's book I knew that Kurt Cobain is like the closest thing you're gonna get to an actual male feminist because like he's been super outspoken and very just like in touch with feminism and his feminine side and all these things but Sasha gave a lot of information about why Kurt Cobain was like this and so they were saying in this book that as a kid Cobain identified more strongly with girls and gay boys than with the jocks who tortured him for his femininity. He told Advocate which is I think a magazine that he had a quote gay spirit that wasn't quite straight and that if he hadn't ended up being with Courtney Love he probably would have carried on with a bisexual lifestyle which I think is really interesting. And then later on in 1992 for a Rolling Stone cover story Kurt Cobain also said that quote I definitely feel closer to the feminine side of the human being than I do the male or at least the American idea of what a male is supposed to be and so I feel like it's really interesting because I never thought that Kurt Cobain was wearing a dress to like stick it to anybody I just thought that he was trying to be like you can be feminine and be grunge and you can be this you can be that but like he genuinely was expressing his own gender identity and I feel like this opens up this whole other picture of what Kurt Cobain was as a human that I never really knew before and I feel like it makes a lot of what he was doing a lot more powerful. To be honest I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about Nirvana previously and so my just assumptions of them I didn't even know he wore dresses on magazine covers. This is the level of like not on my radar this was and so I was like so surprised to find this out and also the fact that he wrote one of their albums in utero is all about like this obsession he has with pregnancy and like birth and 
all this stuff and like the way Sasha writes about it is really cool. I just had no idea and Sasha also goes on to write that their music was heavy enough to attract metalheads but Cobain made sure to poke at fans machismo by bringing his femininity onto a TV show specifically marketed towards straight dudes. The dress was a playful provocation aimed straight at the sore spots of the boys who tried to throw homophobic slurs in his face. So I'm just like puzzled again with this of like how was Nirvana as big as they were with Kurt Cobain like this actually being the real him where like he in Rolling Stone said he identifies more with his feminine side than his male side and I'm wondering if once again it goes back to the fact that Nirvana was such a sonically important band that that was enough for people to overlook Kurt actually being who he was. I think definitely that was part of it. I think also it's the same thing with Bowie where it's like, well, at the end of the day, he's married to a woman and they're having a baby and he's a man. So I think it's, I think it's a bit of both of it's like the importance and like the relatability of what Nirvana was putting out there. And also the fact that it's like, when you look at the picture of his life, he very much looks like a straight white man, no matter what he's saying in interviews or how he's feeling or how there is like this discussion of like, even if Courtney Love was a talking horse, he would have married her because it's her soul that matters, (laughs) like not anything else. She was a man, like he still would have been drawn to her soul is what he's said a lot and about how she also had like a more masculine energy and they sort of balanced each other out. Whatever one was missing, the other had. And so I just think that there was a lot going on that people were just willing to ignore because of the picture idea that they have of like who Kurt Cobain was. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah, I don't know. It is quite interesting because it's like, but Prince, I don't know. Like, why was Prince not treated the same way? Well, I think Prince also was just like a small man. He was like 5'3". He saying in like high pitched voice had that very like sassy attitude but I mean also we're ignoring the elephant in the room of that prince was a black man so of course people are going to be more judgmental of that because at that time it's still very much like the world was like barely desegregated at that point yeah exactly so what do you expect from white people like how do you expect them in the 1980s like maybe like 15 years into like schools being desegregated of like them being accepting of like not only a black man but like black man who's playing with his gender identity and what it means to be masculine like i feel like it all 
all sort of makes a lot of sense if you think about it in those regards. I think that's important to point out because I think especially at this time, the idea of black masculinity is very like tough and rough and not at all like how Prince was. So I think that's really important to point out. And I think, you know, this is a good segue to talk about some more recent artists today. And Sarah, you found a really good article that was talking about how hip hop artists specifically have been playing with their gender expression for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's also why I thought it was important to bring up the fact that Prince was a black man and how that could have played into people's not trusting of his gender identity. But I found this article on Vogue because basically in going into this episode I just kept being like, well, in recent history of people just being like, yeah, this is what I wear, this is what I do, all I kept thinking about was like Jaden Smith in like 2016 wearing a skirt and how it was just like normal for him like it wasn't him putting on a show it wasn't him trying to make a statement he just was wearing skirts around and there was just like a big like hubbub about it you know and so then on top of that I was like oh well like Lil Nas X is also playing with gender and the colors that he wears and the outfits that he wears and even before he was publicly out as a gay man he was already sort of playing with the idea of like what he was wearing and all that sort of stuff not sticking to quote-unquote traditional masculine dress, what have you. But there was this article written by Kiyoma Nadi for Vogue in 2019 called This Was the Decade That Hip Hop Style Got Femme. And basically in this article, Kiyoma is acknowledging how basically for the past 10 years, so like since around 2009, black men in hip hop have been stepping outside of like what is quote unquote normal for masculine men to wear. And that it, it wasn't necessarily that they were wearing super feminine clothes, but it's like they were wearing bright colors or all these things. And like you had Kanye West and his friends showing up to fashion week in like neon colored polo shirts and all these things and how they were leaning towards more androgynous and less masculine fashion choices, especially over the past 10 years. And it was never to make people uncomfortable, it was just to sort of be outspoken in the way that they were dressed. Like it, it was never anything more than just, oh, this makes me feel good, you know? And so they were talking about how you had everything from like Kanye wearing bright colors and wearing flowy feminine type blouses to Kid Cudi rocking crop tops. You have Tyler the Creator wearing like bright colors and even, I think that there was one festival that Tyler the Creator was at where he wore like a neon yellow women's power suit. At least that's what it looked like to me. So I mean you have these artists who are very much wearing like statement pieces that lean more towards like the feminine ideals of what fashion is and they're not making a fuss about it. They're just putting their clothes on their back and they're like owning it. And I just feel like it's so often black creatives in general, like they're not giving the credit for the moves that they're making and making things more acceptable for everyone. And they're usually at the forefront of these cases and case in point, like the first person I thought of wearing a skirt was Jaden Smith. And so the fact that there was just this article acknowledging that there are just these men in hip hop going out about their days wearing more feminine leaning outfits for no reason other than they think it looks good. I feel like that's really powerful and really incredible in a lot of ways because it just goes to show how gendering clothes is ridiculous and if you want to just put it on and not make a fuss about it you don't have to. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting because so many of these people that we were even just brainstorming are black men. And so it's really cool that somebody actually dedicated an article to like talking about the trends that they've seen. And I think, as you mentioned, Jaden Smith in 2016 was wearing dresses, wearing skirts, and actually talked about this in his cover story with Nylon. And he said, the world is going to keep bashing me for whatever I do, and I'm going to keep not caring. I'm going to keep doing the same things. I'm going to keep doing more things. I'm going to take most of the blows for my fellow misfits. So, you know, in five years, when a kid goes to school wearing a skirt, he won't get beat up and kids won't get mad at him. It just doesn't matter. I'm taking all the brunt of it. So later on, my kids and the next generation of kids will all think that certain things are normal that weren't expected before my time. So, I mean, Jaden is very much doing this as like, not like a, hey, look at me. I'm being cool and wearing a skirt. He's very much doing this as of like, he recognizes that he's in a position of privilege with his fame and he's using that to express his gender identity so that others who come after him can feel more comfortable doing that. And I just feel like what he said, and he was really young at this time, he was like 18-ish when he said this. And I think for him to like recognize that he has this platform with his fame and be able to use it for something like this and not doing so in a way that's like, look at me being so cool challenging things is really great. On top of that, I mean, Jaden Smith has been doing this for years, and the reason why he was talking about this in 2016 was, like, because he had been. And, I mean, in 2013, Kioma, in her in this Vogue article, mentions how Jaden Smith was actually asked to star in a Louis Vuitton women's campaign wearing a skirt. So that's three years prior, so he's, like, 15 years old and already making a statement with his fashion choices and just doing something because, like, that's what he wants to do. Like, he feels comfortable in a skirt. I mean... Why wouldn't you? But I mean, on top of that, like Jaden Smith definitely is one of the men at the forefront of just doing something because they feel most comfortable in it. And in doing research for this, I actually learned about a whole new person that I'd never heard of, who is the rapper Young Thug, who I was unaware of him, which is honestly shocking for how in the know I usually am with pop culture stuff. But basically, lots of these articles mentioned Young Thug and how his wardrobe is very much, it's just mostly women's clothes. Like that's what he feels most comfortable in. And there was just a lot of hubbub because in 2016, he released a mixtape called Jeffrey, which sees him wearing this like super dramatic, like periwinkle ruffled gown. And the internet was like, what's going on here? And he was just like, yo, it's me. <laughs> this is who I am. You either like it or you don't. And I just think that that's really powerful that most of his image has just been him wearing female clothes because that's how he feels the most comfortable in himself and that he even just like in releasing stuff into the world was like I'm going to be the real me I'm not gonna hide it just to make people more comfortable so I think like in contrast what Young Thug did is really cool also in like pushing the boundaries here but like my mind is just going to the other elephant in the room which is Harry Styles because in his 2020 Vogue cover shoot he was wearing multiple dresses and the internet went crazy and fans loving and adoring that and other conservative people on the internet criticizing him which like at this point, if you're criticizing a man in a dress, you have bigger problems that you need to deal with in your personal life. But point being is like, why is like Harry Styles getting all of this praise from everyone when Harry hasn't actually said much about actually wearing 
dresses or dressing more feminine in any way. Yeah, well, I think that it's interesting to bring up because, like, as we said, it's like you read that Vogue interview with Harry and it's not even mentioned. Like, you're wearing your signature Gucci, but you're wearing a dress this time. What was that about? Like, there's no acknowledging it. Whereas, like, Young Thug and basically everything he's doing, like, he literally saying how there's no such thing as gender. And he also went on to say, in my world, you can be a gangster with a dress or you can be a gangster with baggy pants. And so it's like, he's making these statements about how being androgynous doesn't mean anything. You're just being who you want to be. And it's not being a fuck you to this like bigger system of things. It's just him being himself and being like, I can be me. Like I can be a hip hop star no matter what. It doesn't fucking matter what I dress like, what I like to look like, like how I like to be viewed. And so I think in regards to Harry, it is really interesting it's like yes there was backlash but it was mostly backlash from like conservatives but there also was no backlash from people in the queer community being like why are you commodifying our ideals but I think also in Harry there's an interesting thing of that because and I say this so many times he is such a closed book we know so little about him the world has just accepted and decided that this man is bisexual they've decided that he's part of the LGBTQ community and therefore there can be no complaints when he does things like this and it's like, I'm not saying there should be, but it's also like, why is Young Thug not being praised more? Why is Lil Nas X not being celebrated? Why is Jaden Smith not on the cover of Vogue? What makes Harry so special that he gets to be this man wearing a dress on the cover of Vogue when he's not even talking about gender fluidity? He's not talking about his relationship with his gender. He's not talking about these things when like all these other men throughout history, including even like Kurt Cobain and Prince too and Bowie they've like spoken about why they dressed the way they did they've spoken about why they were doing these they've spoken about who's inspired them you know and so it's like even though there are caveats to a lot of these choices of leaning into the feminine most of the time there is some sort of discourse around it and I mean like MGK even for a nylon cover story they styled him in a dress and there's no acknowledgement of why he's wearing this dress and it's like there doesn't have to be, but also the fact that like Young Thug is expected every single time he's spoken about anything to talk about why he dresses the way he dresses. Like why are these men not being like, oh yeah, like I wore a dress today. Like I don't know. I just feel like it's something that has because gender fluidity has become such a moment right now people feel like they don't need to talk about it but I feel like even more so now I would want people to be talking about why they're choosing to do this because it's so much more accepted now. I guess like with with Harry and MGK because like MGK has also been wearing nail polish he's been wearing pearls he's been dressing in pink a lot lately and doing those things more so than he's been wearing dresses but like neither of them have really spoken much about those fashion choices but again they don't really have to this is the thing is like gender and the clothing is all just like what you choose to do and I don't think with MGK like, it does feel a little bit more like... Like, he, MGK is the type of person who's doing things because he wants to push the boundary. But again, like, we don't know and we can't judge... We really can't judge anyone based on how they dress because we don't know, like, the underlying things in their in their thoughts and how they are experiencing the world. But I think to your point is that 
there are men who are talking about these things, which are important conversations to have if they're comfortable talking about it. So why aren't they given a bigger platform to share that message? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not trying to be like, Harry Styles needs to tell us if he is gender fluid, ASAP or else. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I'm owed Harry Styles pronouns or anything along those lines. But I do think that when there are people who are being such good advocates for the idea that the gender binary is bullshit and all that stuff, they should be given a bigger platform. They should be given more access to talk about these things in the well-educated way that they do and the thoughtful way that they do. But also, I mean, like, on top of this, MGK was speaking to Spotify and he basically was saying how the state of rock and roll depends on rock stars. I gotta see some fuck you. I want some attitude, dude. Apparently, he went on a vitriolic rampage about how some people in rock bands wear comfortable shoes. It's a largely expletive-filled rant, including put on some Doc Martens, you fuck, and then went on to say how the shoes are a metaphor. So, I mean, MGK... MGK's views, I think, on fashion are questionable, to say the least. But also, as you were saying, it's like, yeah, clearly, I mean, this man is saying he wants you to wear Doc Martens or some Chucks to look like a rock star. I don't know if he's wearing the colors and the nail polish and the jewelry for any reason other than to push the boundaries. But I don't want to, like, push my own frustrated thoughts onto this man. But the other thing is, whether or not he's doing it with good intentions or because he wants to be edgy, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's still helping to normalize men wearing nail polish or wearing dresses if they want to. Yeah, there's like, I don't know, there's so much discourse. This is the one thing, TikTok is broadening my brain. And there's like all of this discourse online, people with like aggressive internet thoughts, you know, of these things that like, if you're out in the real world, not around people who use TikTok, people are going to be like, you have to calm down. And there's nothing wrong with having like a very bubble idea of like what is and isn't accepted. But there's like lots of statements about when like these men wear nail polish and all these things, it's like you automatically have an idea of like what they're going to be like. Like, and now it's like men are doing that to like trick people and all of this stuff but it's like that also feels wrong to even say that so there's just there's so much there's almost too much discourse going on about what is and isn't acceptable for people to wear and what it is and isn't acceptable for people to like quote unquote appropriate because I mean is wearing feminine clothes appropriating it like that mean women wearing pants was appropriating male culture like I don't understand in regard to like viewing things in the gender binary how appropriation could even work in that sense but I guess my point of the matter is is it's like yes I completely agree with you I think that making things more acceptable to other people having it in direct view of so many eyes so much more often is very good for people who want to go out into the world and dress how they feel safest and feel the most themselves. But I guess my thing is it's like there are so many people who are open about why they dress this way, why they make these choices. Like I would understand if like Harry in his own art was wearing a dress and doing things and like creating something in his own choices, like in his music videos or in his album artwork or those sort of things, or if MGK was doing things in like his album artwork or his music videos where they were like towing the line of like what gender can be and like what gender is. But in both of those instances, it's other people making that decision for them. Like Vogue was like, we're gonna put Harry in a dress. And Nylon was like, we're gonna put 
Coulson in a dress and it's not like with Young Thug or with Jaden or with Lil Nas X being like I'm gonna put myself in like this leather outfit I'm gonna put myself in this dress I'm gonna put myself in this skirt like I'm going to like go about my life and just wear this or like I'm gonna make my art in some way that's like showing my gender expression you know so I feel like it's different in that regard of like these men are trying to have gender expression through stuff that they're creating fully on their own whereas these other men are like having gender expression that a team of people for another creative outlet are like this works for you that completely makes sense thanks <laughs> and i think also like a middle ground situation here is also like young blood like young blood wears dresses wears skirts dresses very feminine sometimes wears makeup like it does all these things to play with his gender identity like figuring out who he is he does it in his own art he does it in other things but he doesn't really talk about it that much i was doing some research to try and find something about him speaking about this and he did an interview with paper magazine with this guy called Brandon Wetmore in 2019 and basically they asked do you remember the first time you wore a dress and like how that made you feel and so Youngblood goes I was at my next door neighbor's house her name is Annabelle I was about 11 and she put it on me as a joke as soon as she put it on me I kind of unlocked a new avenue within myself the way it felt on me I love the silk on my body it kind of gave me this confidence which started out as something humorous and so he has like this really lovely sort of origin story of how he came to the realization that he felt more confident in himself wearing more feminine clothing and he went on to say that like as he got older when he would like be buying clothes for himself he would always buy himself short black skirts and all these things because that's how he felt most confident and so i think that even just like a tiny remark like that in like one interview you know of like oh when did you realize that this was something that made you feel good or like made something that you wanted to be part of you i think it's really powerful especially for fans you know because it's like you don't have to have that thing where you have to create the narrative for yourself with him he did it for you he told you why this is a thing that's part of his life and i feel like that's just kind of a nice little special moment sort of the bare minimum but he's doing <laughs> he's doing something but also like i don't follow young blood so i'm not sure if like he's spoken about this more but just from my research this was the one main moment where he's like spoken about this. I agree with you. It is nice when they do speak about it, but going back to our past two episodes talking about cancel culture, expectations of celebrities, and also bisexuality, it's nice when they share that with us, but it's never required and we should never expect it of them. I think that when someone else is putting you in the clothes, I think that that's the only time that you should say something. So another example of somebody who's done well to speak about their origin story and how they dress is Billy Porter, who is an actor, but was also in Kinky Boots and the show Pose and has been wearing a lot of dresses and capes and skirts and all kinds of really cool outfits on red carpets. And he talked to Vogue about how this all came about and said that he drew inspiration from his mother and his grandmother. And he says, quote, when you're black and you're gay, one masculinity is in question. I dealt with a lot of hobophobia in relation to my clothing choices. Even when I had my first working contract at AM Records, I was silent for a long time and I was trying to fit into what other people felt like I should look like. When I landed a role in Kinky Boots, the experience really grounded me in a way that was so unexpected. Putting on those heels made me feel the most masculine I've ever felt in my life and it was empowering to let that part of myself free. And he goes on to say, my goal is to be a walking piece of political art every time I show up to a red carpet to challenge expectations. What is masculinity? 
What does that mean? Women show up every day in pants, but the minute a man wears a dress, the C's part. And then he says, the industry masquerades itself as inclusive, but actors are afraid to play because if they show up as something outside of the status quo, they might be received as feminine. And as, as a result, they won't get masculine jobs, that superhero job. That's the truth. And I've been confronted with that. So in that regard, relating to the world of acting, it is very different because I feel like in music, it's all your own personal expression. So they're not dealt with the same kind of criticisms and judgments of like, can we cast this person for a role? But I think it's really empowering what Billy Porter said. I think it's really special that he was able to have that moment where he recognized how amazing he felt in wearing heels and expressing himself. And he was able to embrace that and not be afraid to show that to the world. I think it's just interesting that like a really common theme throughout this whole episode is that these men have stated that they felt the most masculine in their souls and like in their bodies by wearing more feminine clothing and I think it sort of goes back to like that idea of like creative men being perceived as more feminine I feel like in some way that like solidifies their masculinity to some degree which is interesting and I think that just goes to show how gender is a construct and it's pretty bullshit <laughs> in like the grand scheme of things because a lot of these men feel the most in their power in very feminine clothes and I know like a lot of women especially feminine presenting women especially like plus size women when you can wear something that's like very feminine that you usually see on like a smaller body and you can look at yourself and be like this is this is me like it's a very confident feeling so I feel like it's just interesting like having that same emotion with like these men who put on like heels or a dress or something and like that I can relate to that even though it would never be something that I would think that I could. And so now I'm just going to read something Sasha had to say at the very end of their book in their final chapter because I thought it was really powerful. So Sasha writes, There's magic in making yourself and so often that magic leaks out in the form of music. It disarms you, renders you soft and spontaneous, ready to face the unknown. It binds you to other people, letting you share in the sublingual joy. Music dissolves the artificial boundaries we build between each other. In losing yourself, you can become yourself. One of music's many odd paradoxes that has made it such a fertile home for expressions of gender weirdness. Whether or not you're trans, I hope there's something in the book and the music it points to that helps you feel a little less alone, a little more connected, a little more whoever you know yourself to be. And I think that's just a really beautiful ending way to kind of cap things off because you're here because you love music, right? And gender expression, music, and fashion, all of these things go hand in hand. And I just think it's really special to point out that music is a safe place to explore these things and express these things. And I hope that you all feel that way as well. I agree. I think that that is a really beautiful point. And Jonathan, you summed it up really nicely. It's like all of these things are here for people to feel like they can express themselves in one way or another, whether that's through creating music, listening to music, how they dress, how they act, all these things. And so much goes into play of the way we're perceived and the way that people react to these things. And I feel like that's why we've felt like it's important to touch upon these sort of topics, especially in instances where the idea of being feminine is used by people to express who they truly feel like they need to be and who they really are. Especially when people born in female bodies have been also shamed for just being feminine for so long. Like nobody, nobody can win when it comes to being on that side, which is just frustrating but also I feel like a lot of who we spoke about today and what we touched on really proves that we are paving the way forward for people to just be who they want to be 
and not have to feel afraid of doing that. Yeah, no, I think that was a beautiful conclusion to this episode. And I'm really glad that we were able to take a dive into this world of gender identity and expression and all of those lovely things. So if you have any thoughts about what we talked today, if you'd like us to go down another path of the idea of gender fluidity, we are definitely open to widening our horizons on this discussion because I know that there are so many different levels to it. You can give us feedback, you can reach out, we can have some convos on social media. You can find us at Name3Songs on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you can email us. Or if you'd like to speak with us personally, you can do that. I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore so thanks for joining us this week on name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to young thug don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit name3songs.com anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.